what we're going to do is we're going to shift our spiritual practice for the summer months to Sabbath. And so this will um, tie directly into some of the emotional healthy stuff we're going to talk about. But over the next eight to ten weeks, we're going to practice the spiritual discipline of Sabbath. And we're going to have some resource online. If you go to mypraxis.church slash spiritual discipline, there's lots there that you can engage in. Recommended reading. But basically, Sabbath is not a day off as much as it is a 24-hour period of rest and worship. Um, There's these things called the Ten Commandments, like don't kill, don't commit adultery, some of these things. And on that same list is a command to rest one day a week. And it's the one we don't take seriously, and yet you see from the scriptures, it's really the one that gives us the most life as people who follow God. And so we're trying to reclaim this practice. This is, I'm the worst at this one. If you want to talk about like fixed hour, I'm okay, fix our prayer, some of the things that we've done, generosity, I feel like I'm just naturally bent to generosity. Sabbath as an Enneagram 3 and an A-type personality is not my thing. But one of the things we're going to do with these practices is continue to come back to them just as a reminder for us that it's not like a one-off, we check the Sabbath box in 2018. You're going to notice over the next you know, three or four years, we're going to continue to come back to these practices as a reminder for us. It takes, takes putting them into practice. So um, we'll have more to say. We'll have some midweek podcasts probably around Sabbath at some point. But that's the journey for now. Other than that, if you, want, if you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and you can fire on a Bible. There will be some slides on the back wall as well, the back here, just to help you. Here's the deal. We, a number of weeks ago, turned kind of into a series, kind of accidentally at Pentecost, on the Holy Spirit. And as promised, tonight we, if you think of the people visiting, tonight we're going to talk about tongues. Oh. Yeah, baby. You know that weird part in the Bible that a lot of people are like, what is going on? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, the plan was, because this is really integral to the work of the Spirit and what this means for people, you know, in the 21st century following Jesus, the plan for tonight was to actually talk about tongues and prophecy together. And I, this was prepared to talk about tongues and prophecy. And that clock is going fast, so I'm glad we made this decision. We're going to split it into two because there's a lot to talk about and there's probably questions you're going to have as well. So tonight we're going to talk about tongues and then next week we're going to talk about prophecy and then we'll get into our summer guests. In a couple weeks we have a guy named David Curry coming for a couple weeks. It's going to be great to have him. PhD, a professor, great guy, really wise guy. He is part of a Bible college in Brussels and uh, is here for the summer and is going to teach us for a couple weeks. My sister-in-law, who many of you know, who helped us with some of the marriage stuff, is I think going to come two or three weeks in a row for us and help teach us over the summer. So it's going to be a great, great summer of just hearing different voices. But for now, we're going to take some time and just talk about the spirituals. Because this is what Paul calls it. Actually, in English, it's not called spiritual gifts as much as it's one word in Greek, pneumatikos, which we would translate probably, the, probably the better picture we get is stuff the Spirit does. That's why we've called this Spirit stuff. That's, that's honestly how we should think about the spiritual gifts. Now here's the list, if you want to call it, in 1 Corinthians 12 um, that Paul kind of gives to the church. He says this, Now to each one, of the, is, uh, each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, 
To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, miracu- uh, to, to another sorry, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these things, Paul says, pneumaticos, the Spirit stuff, all of them work are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, precursor, when Paul talks about these gifts, which that's kind of what we call them in English, he is not speaking about one person having one gift and another person having another gift. I think we should actually obliterate that idea. As much as there is a bunch of things that the spirit does, and all of us should be open to it. I'm repeating myself in the last few weeks, but as we come to this, just remember, Now, what happens is the New Testament talks about this thing called tongues. Like, people begin to speak in tongues within the church, which is kind of bizarre, especially if you don't have an Old Testament framework, but can kind of especially be a bizarre thing in our 21st century rational minds. Um, It's just the way we're we're, we're fashioned by the Enlightenment. I know some of you watch shows with dragons, and you know, you know, some of you know the Harry Potter series very well. I know there's like this bent of kind of fantasy in our head, but for the most part, we're, very, we're based in our thinking very rational. And yet it's here. And you have, have, I'm not doing this because I want to talk about it. We're doing this because people have actually asked about spiritual gifts, about tongues and prophecy, so I thought we'd talk about it. What I want to do is I just want to look at a few instances about this and just talk about, I think, what it means for us. Let's start with Pentecost, okay? At Pentecost, Jesus, before Pentecost, tells the disciples to go, to meet together, and there's this promise. One of the promises is that they would receive and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that you see is that even the language here, the biblical language, is like when the Spirit was to come at Pentecost, it would be the changing of epochs, that the old would be kind of gone away and the new creation would continue to be bursting forth. And that not just people, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, it was actually pretty privileged people that got to speak for God as prophets. It wasn't everybody. And you know, from Moses all the way down, we'll talk about prophecy next week and we'll talk about this more. But there was this picture at Pentecost that everybody would receive the Spirit, and it would blow, the, I mean, blow everybody's minds in the reality that this is not for just one specific person that speaks on behalf of God, but that the whole community could be baptized in the Spirit, and we could all be prophets. Crazy. We'll talk more next week. So you get this picture in Acts chapter 2. Throw it up if you can. We'll get to 1 Corinthians 14 in a second. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews... And, uh, uh, from every nation under heaven. So the Pentecost was not like a denomination at the time. It was a festival that celebrated the giving of the law 50 days after Moses went out of Egypt through, obviously, the Red Sea. There was this celebration of God giving Israel the law. And so every year, Pentecost was a thing. And so Jerusalem would be buzzing. There's people from all over the known world coming, different languages, different creeds, all sorts of stuff. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So, when the Holy Spirit comes on the community, this is what happens. They began not to speak like gibberish. 
they began to speak the good news of the kingdom of God in other people's languages. This is the picture. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? It's kind of like a little slight there. Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, all these other kind of places, you get the point. Egypt and the parts of Libya, visitors from Rome, everybody is hearing this. And listen to what they said. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So Pentecost, you following me? Spirit comes, and they are actually speaking, unknown to themselves, languages to the people that are in the streets on Pentecost, and people are actually hearing the good news. This is not just like, you know, some of, us, some of us are in therapy for our past. Let's be honest. Can we just be honest? Like our past in the church, which is great. You know, some of us have grown up in environments where it's just like all about experience, all about feeling God, all about kind of the sideshow and experience. And I'm all for experiencing God, but just what comes with that at times has often been like these manifestations and only God is only moving if this thing happens and that thing happens. What's interesting is they speak in tongues and there's a purpose for it. Purpose is, is that other people would hear the good news of the kingdom. Jamie uh, Smith, great theologian, he puts it like this when he talks about Pentecost. He says this. Next slide. He says, when Peter raises his voice, it's to offer an explanation, an account of the phenomena that was swirling around them. His bold interpretation is actually a counter-interpretation. The mockers had already offered an interpretation. These phenomena, speaking in tongues, were attributed to drunkenness, right? They actually say, oh, these people are drunk at like nine in the morning. And you're like, well, that may be our city, but there you go. It's Pentecost and it's a party. Goes on, but Peter courageously offers a different interpretation, an outlandish and surprising one to be sure, which only heightens the boldness that such an interpretive stand required. Peter's interpretation hinges on verse 16. This is that. In other words, what you're seeing is actually the fulfillment of a promise spoken to Joel, that a day would come when God's spirit would be poured out so lavishly and with such extravagance that it would erase old distinctions of class and gender. And so right there at Pentecost, we already see something we have come to associate with postmodernism, a conflict of interpretations. Very well put. Now here's the thing. When we look at Pentecost and we look at, at tongues, there are not many of us in this room that will ha ever need the opportunity to speak in tongues like this because most people in our city speak English. Can we just nod our heads behind the mask? Are you there? I can see you out there. Are you there? It's very, very, we need to think through this just kind of logically and what's happening here. Now, I, I know of people um, who have shared experiences, particularly in places where there's different cultures and different languages, where they've actually, and this is for another time, I'm a very rational person, but I'll go with other people's experiences because it happened here, where they've spoken in tongues and the gospel was brought to bear to other people. They did not know that language. Again, you watch shows with dragons, you know the Harry Potter genogram, I know it can seem crazy, but I, I mean, I think I going by other people's experiences and what I see at Pentecost, I believe this to be true. 
And let's be honest, some of the things that we believe are a little outlandish, a virgin birth, I kind of lean into that, that's kind of crazy, and ascent, uh, a death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, I lean into that. So again, I'm very attuned to more of a rational way of thinking, but I've heard of experiences where this has happened. It's never happened to me, okay? But for most of us in this room, we are not going to need to speak another language in this regard because we live in London, Ontario, and for the most part, were shaped by the English language. It's funny to talk about tongues sometimes, people will push back and the question would be like, are you bringing the gospel to bear in English, right? So this is one of the things that we need to think through. So that's kind of like on a macro level, all right? This is the idea of um, witness, the empowerment to witness. It's here in the scriptures and one of the things that God does is he actually pours out his spirit on this, this community of people and people hear the good news in their own languages. So you have that. Then you get to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. And Paul now is dealing with primarily two things in 1 Corinthians 14. We're gonna walk through it very quickly. He walks through tongues and prophecy and he's helping the church in Corinth because this church in Corinth is brand spanking new. Remember, we have 2,000 years of history that we've kind of built ourselves off of as far as how we gather and how we think. This church is brand new, trying to sort out the way of Jesus, and it is a gong show. When they get together in a house church, for church, to gather together, to come around the scriptures, to discuss in community with each other, there's all sorts of disorder within the community that Paul has to deal with. And one of those things is the misuse of tongues. And it's quite interesting, actually, what he has to say. So I asked you to... Turn to 1 Corinthians 14. If you have it there, this is what Paul says. He says this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, the pneumaticos. Especially, Paul says, prophecy. For anyone, you can throw it up there if you want, uh, Judah. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Instead, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, they edify themselves, but the one who prophesies actually edifies the church. Hanging with me? Pretty clear so far. Verse 5. I would like each and every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy, Paul says. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, I know, <laughs> I know at Praxis Church, nobody is burning down the doors to speak in tongues in the public gathering, right? Just laugh behind the masks. Look, can we be real? Is this, this, nobody is like burning to do this, I don't think, in our gatherings. But it's interesting how Paul's language is shaped. He makes it personal. He says, verse six, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues. Listen to what he says. What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So Paul is saying, I wish all of you would speak in tongues. And in the same breath, he says, what good am I to speak in tongues to you in a public setting like this? So here's what he does. Classic master teacher Paul just like Jesus gives three really good examples of what it's like when somebody speaks in tongues in the public gathering and there's no interpretation. Verse seven. Can you throw it up, Judah? Spin in the slides. Good job. All right. Verse seven. Here's example number one. 
even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, or in our case, such as the acoustic guitar or piano, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? So a little music history class. I grew up in the home of a conservative music teacher, okay? And I love her, but my, my life was interesting at times because every, and she was my teacher, okay? So every practice was what? She would listen from the kitchen and every practice was a lesson. Everyone. And it was a beautiful time. I loved it. It was great, but it had its moments, right? But one thing I've learned from music class, as much as I don't know how to read music very well anymore, from learning the piano is music has three particular things that it needs to function. It has melody. Mike was singing melody and playing melody tonight. There's harmony. And of course, every song or every com composition has rhythm to make it what it is. What Paul is saying this is the image he's giving. So my parents have a beautiful piano in their home. And when we go in, especially, I guess our kids are getting older, but when our kids were little, they would go in the front door and every time, what would they do? Go in, right? Like they would just play it all over the place. That's the image Paul wants us to see. When somebody speaks in tongues in the public gathering and there's no interpretation or no clarity brought, it's like three-year-old Levi smacking the keys all over the place. There's no melody, there's no rhythm, or, um, there's no, or there's no harmony. So this is the picture Paul wants us to see. It's out of whack. It's like music that you don't understand. Example number two. We've talked about this, by the way, a few years ago, about five years ago. Again, Paul says, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for, for battle? So in the ancient world, now we have all sorts of technology, and I know some of you like sit in your basement and you actually like play war games against other people. But back in the ancient world, they did not have the technology quite like what we have. And to go into battle and to retreat out of battle, they would go by the sound of a trumpet. And let's be honest, if you get that sound wrong and you go the wrong direction, that is not a good thing, right? And this is what Paul is saying. He says this, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. It's like, it's like the trumpet sound on, on the field of battle. You need to know when you're going to go in and you need to know when you're going to go out. And if you screw those things up, then it's bad news for you in that in that place and time and space. And so Paul's like, this is, this is kind of the image. It's like music you don't understand. It's like the trumpet on the battlefield. And then third example is this. I think actually, Nicole, one time we did this, we talked about this, you came up on stage and you spoke in German. I don't know if you remember this. Paul says this, undoubtedly there are also, you're like, Nicole Kaniki speaks in German? Yes, it's amazing, I love it. Undoubtedly, Paul says, there are all sorts of languages in the world Yet some of them is without meaning. Paul says, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker. This is not rocket science. Paul's like, if I don't understand your language, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. And the classic example of this, so you have the, the kind of offbeat music, you have the trumpet illustration, and then this one is just as simple as anything. If somebody speaks, <laughs> I'm really smart, I went to Bible college, okay? Uh, if somebody speaks in a different language, you don't understand it. It's as simple as that. And this is, Paul's, this is Paul's concern with the church in Corinth, is that 
if it's not intelligible for people, then it doesn't serve its purpose. So he says this, verse 12. So it's with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Because that's what the new pneumatic host does. That's what the Spirit stuff does. It builds the church up. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. So to Paul... The wisdom of God is the cross, and real spirituality is being animated by the Holy Spirit. And one of the pictures he gives for the community of people is that when somebody speaks out, they should interpret. So he says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible freaking words, I added the freaking part, that's not in the Greek, to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so for Paul... A sign of maturity in the corporate gathering, in the community, is exactly this. It's not a gong show. It's intelligent. That actually one of the things Paul wants is that as the community gathers together, that there's actually order among the church. As much as maybe some of you grew up in a gong show, Paul really wants the church to understand order. Verse 22, he says this, Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Of course. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, speaking clearly, they are convinced of, convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So verse 26 keeps going. When then, sh what shall we say then, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue for an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So brothers and sisters, you have Pentecost, where this tongues thing seems to be speaking in other people's languages that they understand so that they can respond to the good news of the kingdom, right? Then you have Corinth, where Paul is a little skeptical without some sense of intelligence or some sense of clarity that tongues in the public gathering could actually be a destructive thing if there's not clarity. Again, nobody's beating down the door to do, to do this, but one of the things we hold on to very firmly here, you don't hear me or any of us really speak in tongues from the front of the church or whatever because it doesn't build us up, right? It doesn't, it, it must be interpreted. It must be intelligent. Now, we'll talk about prophecy next week. So you're probably sitting here thinking, oh, so this guy, like, yeah, he's like a cessationist and this isn't for today and this, is, this must be how Praxis Church rolls. Quite the contrary, brothers and sisters. I actually think there's a third way. It's funny that Paul, in the same breath and kind of in the same pen stroke, says you've got to be careful how this is displayed in the public gathering. And then he says things like this. Can you go to the one near the very end, Jude? Very last slide. He says this, for anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter the mysteries by the Spirit. Paul's language is shaped around, I, Jesus' followers can do this. Look at verse four. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I've already read this, I know. But it seems again 
that Paul understands that Jesus followers would actually, this would be actually something Jesus followers could do. Verse five, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. What does that say? Paul again, I think, thinks that this is a thing, that not only he practiced this and did this, but he believes that it could be, it could be a gift. I know that's the kind of the language we use. It could be a spirit stuff. For any of us in this room, even a couple thousand years later, look at verse 18. I thank God, he's just like a little humble brag, right? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather have you speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So we see here, here here's, here's the line I run. Um, tongues is a thing, but it's not the main thing. And I know that that rubs both kind of two camps. It rubs two camps. The very rational people look at me like I'm crazy because I do believe in the pneumaticos. I do believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And I do actually believe that tongues can be one of those things. I also grate <laughs> I also grate my Pentecostal friends because tongues is not everything. And... In the Pentecostal movement, that's kind of what it's been made. It's interesting, when we started out in 1 Corinthians 12, all that list, if you want to call it, that Paul you know, says, here's, here's the gifts that are available, we don't treat any of the other ones oftentimes like Neo-Pentecostals do with tongues. And I've always wondered, why, why aren't we so eager about like a message of wisdom or a message of knowledge or you know, the, the gift of faith, Right? Somehow we've run after, a lot of people have run after one thing, and certainly tongues is an evidence of the Spirit. But I do think Paul would be very clear that in a public setting, it's either speaking in somebody's language to see the gospel come to bear, or there needs to be clear interpretation. And his vision, it's better to prophesy and come back next week because we'll talk about that. And yet, at the same time, I do believe Paul talks about this idea in light of tongues for the church being a way to speak to God. That it's a type of language. I love, the, the, again, the language that he uses here. That when somebody speaks in a tongue, they edify themselves. Interesting that it's more, it seems more as a, a personal thing, and especially in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is lobbying for this to be more of a personal thing uh, than something that would, wouldn't provide clarity. Again, I'd like for all of you to speak in tongues. What does he say? Uh, that they utter the mysteries of the Spirit, that there's something about this particular, and again, I'll use that word gift, that there's a mystery about it. So here's the thing, I, I speak in tongues. There's some of us in this room that speak in tongues, but there's also many in this room that are using the gift of encouragement and wisdom and other gifts. And this, this particular pneumaticos, spirit stuff, is no more important than anything else. And so I think we need to think through, and for many of us, as you have questions about this, again, we are not facing like public disorder, but I think it's important to wrestle through that yes, this is available to us, but it's not everything. And, you know, I'm, I'm super thankful for my upbringing. I really am. I'm also, I feel like, in therapy as well for my upbringing. It's kind of like that tension. It's beautiful. But, um, you know, I've been in instances where the whole trajectory is to get people to speak in tongues. 
And I actually think we miss out on something when it's forced. I've heard people and have had friends have experiences. It kind of, it actually breaks my heart where to, to be kind of a better Christian, they've got to go into a room and get it as though it's like the badge to a certain level of spirituality. And yet we don't do that with any of the other gifts that Paul talks about, any of the pneumaticos that Paul talks about. And so, brothers and sisters, it is a thing. And if God fills you with his spirit and, and through this particular gift that is used in your life, amazing, where you begin to utter the mysteries of God. I know for myself, just personally, and, and many of you will experience this as you grow in God and as you kind of pray and through fixed hour and you begin to pray in communion with God, there are just moments in times I know in my life where I do not know what to pray. But I utter the mysteries of God. This call from Paul just to, to live this out, that the mysteries of God could be used and worked in our lives. And so with that, We'll talk about prophecy more next week and look at what the scriptures say. There's a lot of things. One of the things we want to be as a community is open to the work of the Spirit and what God is speaking and what he's saying and what he's doing. And I would just say for all of us, in all of this, we just be open to God's Spirit. Are you with me? At least we can agree on that one. That all of us in this room would just be open to more of the Spirit. Now what I love about our community is every week we come to the tables. And I've just been... This may sound crazy, but I think the, the early Christians longed to be together. And one of the things we long for is in the next couple minutes to come to the tables. And so I love the fact that no matter what we talk about, some stuff that can kind of seem freaky, especially if this is brand new to you, I get it, right? I get it. But one of the things I love is, is that we end this by coming to the tables. We say, Father, we're open. Holy Spirit, we're open to where you're leading and guiding us. We want you to move and work in our lives, and yet we're really grounded in something that we do every single week. And so Mike is going to come, and we're just going to take, I know it's a little longer, we got started a little later, but I love just to have five or six minutes here where we could feast together. And by feasting, it's a little pack, COVID-19, you know, it's a little pack at the back of the room. Um, it has a wafer and juice in it, but I, do, I don't want to minimize what this means, what this moment means for us. There's a table at the very back, and Mike's going to lead us in worship, and what we're going to do in this room is give you an opportunity just to worship and for us to eat together. And uh, we encourage you to go, to grab an emblem at some point over the next few minutes as Mike leads us. We encourage you to sing and stand and worship with us, but we also encourage you to take the bread and, the, uh, the bread and juice on your own as a sign of remembering what Jesus has done, but also a sign for us of pushing forward that what Pentecost did is ushered in this new age, the death, the burial, resurrection, the life of Jesus, inaugurating his kingdom. One of the things we hope for and we long for is Jesus to come and renew this world. And the beauty is in all of that, especially when we talk about things like spiritual gifts, everything will be clear. There's things in our lives right now that may seem muddy, but we're progressing towards a day when Jesus will come and every tear will be wiped away and everything in our minds and our hearts, all the things we have questions for, for and things we wrestle through will be made clear. So let's stand together and Mike, Mike's gonna lead us and you can find it in the dark in the back there and let's just take 
my, my prayer with this time is just to open up a, a moment and a time and place and space of worship. So you move to the table when you feel comfortable and when you want to, make sure you give a little bit of space for your brothers and sisters as well. But let's take some time. Let's press in. Let's worship together. Come on, Mike, you lead us.